Wednesday, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rob Foster with episode number 126 of Shut Up and Grind. And guess what? Today is my birthday. So some people think I'm 47 years old, but I say it's the 22nd anniversary of my 25th birthday. So that's what we're going to go with. So you guys are going to get a little bit of extra birthday energy out of me today. So if you're new to this show, we talk all about you. So if you're stuck in a rut, if you just you know, maybe need some clarity in, in your life. If you just maybe need a little push to get to get you over the edge, that's what we're here for. So I'm going to share some of my experiences. My guest is going to come on, share his experiences, show what he's got going on, what he's working towards and how he got there. And that's the most important part is how he got to where he is. So Hopefully, by, by the end of this, you'll feel mo- motivated, you'll feel a little, little more educated, you'll feel entertained a little bit, because we're going to make you laugh, because I got jokes for days, we'll see We'll see if my guest does as well. But most importantly, if you apply the principles, we're hoping to transform you, right? So, why should you listen to me? Here's a couple reasons. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. Starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. Don't let this tank top fool you. I am all business, baby. So we are here to change lives and transform lives. The show is heard in over 22 countries throughout the world. I've had guests from all over the planet, from as far east as Australia, as far south as South America, and all all across. And the one common theme is that there was a point in their lives where they knew they wanted something more. And it doesn't always mean fi- financially because, you know, any, anybody can go and make money. But it's the impact. Like, what do you want to leave behind? And so the gentleman I'm bringing on today, he is big into books. He's big into self-expression. And he is big into leaving his mark. Because when, when you're an author, that's what you're doing. You're just leaving your, leaving your mark, you know, behind. So whatever you do in that space, whether it's videos you know, whether it's recorded speeches or whether you're write, writing books, like you're leaving foot, footprints behind. And that's something that you can't put a price tag on because long after you're gone, long after your money's been dispersed to, you, to whoever else is your beneficiary, those things can't be taken away from you. And so that's why I titled this show, When You Realize What You're Passionate About, that's when things change. Because again, anybody can work for money. But I always ask, would you do that without being paid. You know, that's when you know that you're truly into your passion. Just like people say, oh, you're doing your podcast on your birthday? You're damn right. I'm not at the point to where I can pick and choose when when I want to do stuff, but even still, I would choose to be here. Just because it's my birthday, I still got to show up, right? If I'm not feeling well, I got to show up. If maybe I don't feel like it one day, you got to show up. To have anything that you want to have in this world, you have to show up. Right. So you start giving yourself passes and then you give yourself passes. Next thing you know, five years has gone by and you're in the exact same place where you were. Right. So you got to put all that nonsense to to the side and you got to do what's necessary so you can unlock the best version of yourself and step into your greatness. All right. So helping me out with this discussion, I'm bringing in Mickey Royal. Boom. Welcome to the show, sir. How you doing today? All right. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Where are you joining us from? 
Me right now, I'm in Washington, but uh, I'm originally from Los Angeles. Washington State or D.C.? Washington State. Washington State. Nice. What part? Uh, Olympia. Okay. Out in the capital. You're impressed that I knew that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Washington, Olympia. Okay. So, I know nothing about Washington because I haven't visited that state yet. But usually, I like to throw out some fun facts, but I don't know any. So, give me some fun facts about Washington. I don't know much here. I've been here uh, a little over a year and a half. Uh, seen three deer. Okay. Uh, that's pretty much it. I'm in a reclusive country area. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So before we dive dive into our main topics, let's find out about you. So how would you describe yourself? Who is Mickey? That's two different questions. Who is Mickey or who was Mickey? Okay. Well, who is Mickey? He's a writer, uh, man of principle, man of character, not big into self-description, <laughs> never dated myself, uh, had to live with me for a while. I guess he's pretty okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So that, so now let's get into who was Mickey. So what you said, you just told me where you were born and raised, but I forgot already. <laughs> where was it? Oh, I'm from Inglewood, California. California, okay. All right. What part of Inglewood? What do you mean, what part? Like, isn't there like different sections? No, uh, 104th and Crenshaw. That's it. Okay. All right. And what was it like growing up there? It was okay. Then when my parents got divorced, we moved to another section of Inglewood, straight down the hill, and things changed. Okay. You know, and that was around early 80s, and then, you know, crack came into play. Things got a little bit more violent, so it, w- it was really a ganged-up type of situation. Okay. All right, so when, when that change was, was happening, how, how were you able to stay away from it, or did you end up getting caught in it yourself? No, I didn't stay away from it. It was only two roles to play then, predator or prey, and uh, mm-hmm. I don't do really well with prey, so I went the other way. Gotcha. That was around age 12 and a half, 13. Oh, wow. Okay. All right, and then, so how how did you get involved with it? Uh, it was always around. It was around everywhere there, and it was just the allure of it. Those were the cool kids. That's what they were doing. You know, so you just, those are the kids you grew up also riding big wheels and playing with. Yes. So your families trust each other, know each other, and it just kind of happens. Okay. And uh, did you find yourself in, in any dangerous situations? Oh, too many to name. You know, I've done a lot of things throughout my life. Yeah. Uh, been stabbed in the face, shot twice. Oh, my God. Uh, so, yeah, I've been in quite a few dangerous situations. So what was it like? So this was after your parents got, got divorced that this stuff was happening? Yeah. Okay. And so h- how old were you when that happened? I was around 10. Around 10? Okay. So it's like a couple years, years later. How, how involved was, was your father post-divorce? Oh, uh, very much so. Okay. You know, we were a family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well I mean, I asked because, you know, that's not always the case. So sometimes yeah. people divorce and then the dad goes ghost. I was just curious. Yeah, a lot of my background doesn't fit the uh, Hollywood stereotype. Yeah, at all. yeah, exactly. I mean, which is which is good. You know, it's a good thing because you know we're not we're not all lumped in the same box. So yeah, that's why I like to get to, to get these backstories just to see see what people endured. You know, to get to the the uh, successes that they have now. All right, so so you said around twelve and a half to thirteen. So how how long did you stay in that in that I don't even know what you call it. Uh, well, it just progressed or regressed, depends on how you look at it, and ascend or descend. You know, uh, was a former gangster as a child, and then a uh, former drug dealer, uh, former pimp for like 27 years, yeah. former mob enforcer, uh, former pornographer of over 500 adult films. So when you say getting in and getting out, I think maybe I, if I got into 13, I got out at 41. 
but it was different things you did and occupations you took on, so to speak, along the way. Yeah. But it was all in the same box to okay. me. Yeah. All right. So somewhere in there, you had to make a shift, right? So when did that shift happen? Shift towards what? Towards getting out, getting out of that space. Oh, well, you know, a lot of my ladies were with me for long periods of time. Yeah. So when you're a pimp and I have brothels and things like that going on after hours, some of the ladies you work with over years of time. Yeah. And you get to know each other. And just that relationship, I don't care how people say they're going to be ice cold or whatever, this, that, and the other. When you take, you can take the most liberal person, the most conservative person, put them in a squad car all day for about 10 or 12 hours. Mm. They're either going to kill each other in one month or be the best of friends. And usually it's the best of friends. Yeah. Just because they're in a confined space and they have to depend on one another. Yep. Well, no different than that's hap- that had happened to me. Yes. Over the course of time, people are not your uh, employees. And they're definitely not your hoes. They go to either being called your wives or your friends. Yeah. And yeah. they know your family by now. And you know their family by now. And you know, when you start making human connections with people, you start to see things from their point of view and from their side. So I did the worst thing in the life you could ever do. I developed a conscience by doing that. And uh, well, I had decided one day I just could, I wasn't going to do it anymore. Yeah. I said, because all of my life since age 13, I've been in the pain business one way or another, be it physical, be it psychological, be it emotional, be it receiving it or giving it. It's just been a big ball of pain. And lady I was with, she was a former porn star, well, she was a porn star at the time, and I was directing one of her films. Right in the middle of the film, I said, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And wow. she was like, what? I said, she said, the pornography? I said, no, any of it. None of it. None of the stuff I'm involved in, any of it, because that's all I've seen. I know there's so much more to see out there. And I said, I just, I just can't do it anymore. I said, I'll still help you get work if you want to stay. And she said, oh, I'll quit with you. And you know, we're talking about a 15-year relationship here between me and this one particular woman, but yeah. there were almost thousands that came through my life, you know, because of my field. And uh, our child passed away, and I never dealt with it. I didn't even mention it till last year, and this year would be 10 years. Oh, no. And she had never really mentioned it once or twice, you know, along the way, little words she might say, but I would just not acknowledge it. And Balling it up made me just lose it. And yeah. I caught a couple of violent cases. Yeah. And I had to do quite a bit of time. And here I am, almost 50. <laughs> you know, but uh, it was just, it starts eating at you after a while. You know, when that's all you've known. You know, I compare it to like maybe a foreign child soldier who's signed up at 13 and now he's 40, 41 years old. That's all he knows. Yes. And then you know that there's more out there that you're not, you're aware of it, but you're not, you don't have access to it. Yeah. And you just, sometimes, like you said, in your opening, uh, in your opening statement, sometimes you want more, especially yeah. when you know there's more out there. And it's like, I don't want my headstone to read, here lies Mickey Royal, criminal. That's it. That's all he did was just wreak havoc, you know, yeah. one way or another. No, I'd rather read, here lies the bottom of Mickey Royal, author of five, six books, you know? He wrote, he made people think, made people cry, made people laugh, you know, the end. So, yeah, the change comes from within you. Sometimes you have that eureka moment, you know. I'm not that old. I'm, I'll be 50 next year. I'm 48 now. I'll be 49 in November. But uh, I feel like I'm 100. Mm. I lived a lot of life, you know. And uh, now I write the stories and I write the things down. So, so you see, as it, as it says up above us, you know, your true power lies in your story. So I want to put the show aspect aside for a second because I help people create, create personal stories and I help people deal with things that they haven't really dealt with yet either. So after, after this, if you want to link up and talk through the passing of your child, I can help you through that. 
Yeah, because I, I just helped someone just yesterday deal with the death of, of their, their mom. And he, he's a 60-year-old man. And he just said he just doesn't go to that place. You know, so we spent some time. Like, I lost my father in t- 2019. So I was able to use my experience to, to help him bring out those emotions with his mom so he can process it and he can heal from it. You know, so if that's something you want, like I said, said, you don't have to answer me now. But just I just wanted to plant the seed while I was thinking of it. So, but well, I, I appreciate it. Uh, like I, said, I, I wasn't able to talk about it till last year, even yeah. acknowledge it. Yeah. But uh, every year I have like a private birthday for her. Mm-hmm. You know, that, and that really just sitting and the fact that holding it all in. So now you're a shoulder bump away from killing someone. Yeah. And I did a year, got out and did five and a half years after that. Got out, got on parole. And here I am like a year off parole. Yeah, I had changed before I caught those last two cases. Those were basically well, one was rescuing a woman that yeah. I thought was being uh, assaulted, which she was being assaulted, but it didn't take much of a catalyst. It was a woman I knew, and uh, it, it didn't take much. Yeah, I was really, but I didn't realize what I was dealing with because mm-hmm. you know you're taught to, and you grow up and you suck it up, suck it in, and you play through the pain. Yeah, and I didn't realize how did it affected me until I was like locked away a couple of years and just thought about it. Yeah. But I still wasn't able to talk about it till last year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thing, thing to, to go through, but there's also on the other side of it is there's other people out there who are just like you, who, yeah. who had, who had to deal with that pain and they don't know how to talk through it. You know, so by by you coming to grips with what what's happening, share about it. Someone else can hear this and maybe hear it before they do what you did, and then end up where you ended up. Right. You know what I mean, it's like that's the power in, in the story. Like I had a woman on the show a few months ago. She was dealing with an illness, and the doctors basically told her there is nothing else we can do for you, and so she turned to food. She started juicing and, you know, started taking vitamins and was just taking better care of her nutrition. And it ended up reducing the effects of her illness. And so she shared her, she started sharing her experiences. And then a local news station reached out to her because they wanted to feature her in a segment. And in that segment, there was someone else who, who she doesn't know, but she watched the segment and she was dealing with the same issue and she had a gun and was close to taking her life. But seeing that segment, you know, she ended up finding the woman on Facebook, Facebook or Instagram, one of those two, and thanked her for saving her life. You know, so it's like, it's tough for us to take away our personal pain. But like, by sharing it, and you help someone else in that pain, it's like, you'll, you'll never, you'll never get over it. It's like, I'll never get over not having my dad here, you know, but I tell his story of, of, you know, from when he got sick, he had stage four heart disease and just watching the deterioration. And then up until he, we, we had to end care for him. But like when I get deep into the story, it's more, it's more motivational and less sad. You know what I mean? Like even though it's a sad event, I mean, I had the man for 45 years, you know, cause I would love to have him here. I would love to hear his voice. I would love to give him a, give him a hug again or have him give me one of those, those toughened up speeches that like only a true dad can give, you know, like I, I, I would love those moments, but I just relish in the fact of what I had, you know, and then I just yeah. tell that, tell that story to be motivational with others ra- rather than just taking in the personal pain, you know? So I know I veered off topic for, for a minute there, but I just felt it was relevant and I wanted to share that. So, all right. So now, so you get arrested you're in jail. What were your initial thoughts when that cell shut? Here I go again. I mean, yeah, I just yeah. I just got out. I just did a year, and it was uh I've been out six weeks, and I'm right back in the same court, same judge, same cells, everything. And I just was getting used to get being out. Yeah. And my last two cases I caught, I wasn't even in the life. That's what's so ironic. Mm. And my biggest case, well, the one that got me the most time, this last one, I wasn't in the life at all. In fact, I, I thought I was doing something good. Yeah. 
you know, I may have went gone a bit overboard, but that's just the nature of the beast, I guess. Yeah. They were going overboard too. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, so now you get out this last time. What's mm-hmm. your th- what's your thought process? I've been here before. You know, I've had to start over several times. I went away. I had a lot of money, but I left it on the outside for certain people to live off of and they're not as good at money as I am. And when I got out, I didn't have any, ah. they were okay. If I made an objective of making sure they were okay. Yeah. But it had pretty much run out. Mm-hmm. You know, remember we almost off for six years here. Yeah. So I mean, you're taking care of a lot on the outside and it just dwindled down. So my thoughts getting out were, I gotta get some money. I'm never going back to doing what I used to do. Yeah. And what skills do I have? Where do we go from here? You know, and it's a scary feeling, but it's okay. But my first love and passion has always been writing. Uh, I've written uh, and published five books, uh, not counting the children's book under a different name. Yeah. And because I keep that separate. Uh, adult and, and child stuff. I don't like those two to even get close to blurring. Yeah. So yeah. if you go to my like author's page or my children's book, you'll see my eight-year-old picture by my bicycle because mm-hmm. that's who writes those books, my eight-year-old self. Yeah. You know, the, the Mickey Royal, that's me. You know, and I just, I, I write it how I, that was always my passion. So I went back to writing, you know, and see where the chips fall. But I have a lot of, I've seen a lot of stuff, you know, being in the sex trade for over 20 years and dealing with all the assortment of characters that I've dealt with mm-hmm. places. Uh, went to jail in Mexico twice, got arrested down there. Yeah. Uh, done my thing in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I mean, I did this for real. Yeah. On, on every level you can think of all the way up past to mass producing DVDs, uh, did a couple of movies with Hustler. I mean, anywhere in this next trade, I've done, Yeah, you know, and witnessed. And a lot of my stories don't reflect my mindset today, but it happened and I I write it down. And uh, one of my books, Pimpin' Ain't Easy, I think I have 30 pictures in there, mm-hmm. you know, so. They sound unbelievable, but I'm, yeah, well, I'm here. I got the holes in my body to prove it. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) I'm sorry. I can't laugh like I used to. Oh. Yeah, so, so when you, when you first started, started writing, did you just say, I'm going to write a book or were you journaling? Were you blogging? Well, I've always been a writer. I wrote my first play at five. I was a staff writer and part of that, we're all in the same gang thing for Warner Brothers when I was like 13 or 14. Okay. I was doing all of this while I was criming and everything else. And uh, so I've had bouts where, you know, writing was primary for me. Yeah. You know, I tried again to leave the life at 18 and I pursued my, uh, my music and everything. And some things happened. It didn't work out. And I just went back to life being full time. Forget it. Yeah. You know. But uh, yeah, I've always known writing was was going to be it. So, would you say that the writing was an outlet, kind of like an an escape from what you were doing? Had to be. Yeah. Yeah, it was, and to me, especially in the beginning, when I was uh, writing rap songs and stuff, mine were more on the pure innocent type. Mm. It's just like when people ask me how come I've never written. Most of my books have been written while I was incarcerated. Okay. Throughout my life. Cause that's the only time I found peace to do it mm-hmm. and they're all handwritten, but, uh, I don't really have prison stories. I'm going to start telling some, Yeah, you know, cause I got a lot of them, but while I'm in there, I wrote about fun things, mm-hmm. you know, I wrote about the good and the bad, but exactly what I saw and what I did and certain adventures, but I never write about the inside when I'm in this inside. I don't know why it's just, I write about the outside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when did you get the idea to, to put it into a book? I was laying down and I was watching 
a couple of pimp documentaries came on and a pimp, couple of pimp movies. You don't have to say any names, you know, but it was like a, a, a marathon type of thing. Yeah. On a certain cable channel. And I was like, they left this out. They left that out. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's all wrong. That's not how it happens. And I'm just writing stuff that I said, that's, that's not true. I mean, that's why they all sound the same and people put them in the monolith because I think everyone's working off the same script. Yeah. I tell stories of what actually happened, how it's actually done, you know? So when I had my notes, I had like over a page or so of notes and I just started writing. Mm. But I wasn't a neophyte in the writing area. I just hadn't written for almost 20 years because while you're doing it, you can't pull over in the car and write stuff down. <laughs> I was bidding you, you know? Yeah. So your your circle of friends, so I'm assuming they, like, not really the people that you were working with. Like, did you have a circle outside of them that maybe had opinions about what you were doing? Oh, yeah. Those are all I call friends. Those other people I refer to as coworkers. Yeah. Just chess pieces. So, you know, if and when they have to be removed, there's no emotional tie to it. It's just a piece. Yeah. To solidify an agenda, that's all. So you can't really make friends with them. You can pretend to. But if you make friends with people you're doing certain things with, it will affect your judgment. But my real friends, the ones I rode big wheels with, only one was kind of involved in what I was involved in. Not with the women, per se, the pimp thing. He was more so into narcotics and stuff. But uh that none, well, I'm not going to say that had nothing to do with me, but we were kind of equal influence in each other along our early teen years. Okay. But everybody else, no. We get together and do bowling when we can. Because at that time, I was really busy. But they would ask me questions, primarily about certain porn stars and stuff like that. But uh, for the most part, it was regular stuff. How's your mother doing? Did you see this particular game? Now, I haven't owned a television in like 12 years. So they know when they start talking about tw- television to me, I'm like, I have no idea. You know, so they, they just, they skip over. I watch the same, like, 10 DVDs over and over. Yeah. Because uh, I write I, more than, I, than okay. I watch television. Okay. All right, so you you were dealing drugs first? Yeah, I was in, as a teenager. Yeah, as a, all right, so when did, in my 20s. Okay. All right, so when did you get into the pimp game? Oh, Unofficially and officially, I'll say unofficially around 18 and officially in my early 20s, about two years after that. Yeah. So so just walk, walk me through how. Like, how did you even know that was a thing? Actually, I didn't know it was a thing. You have the underworld and you have the shadow world. I had no idea about the shadow world, that world of uh, that nightlife type thing. I came up in streets, gangs, uh, drug guns, stuff like that. I knew pimps existed, and I knew a couple of them who were, they were older men, but that life had nothing to do with what we were doing over here. Gotcha. You know, people think it's all mixed in together. It really isn't. Yeah. You know, drug dealers are primarily sexual deviants. (laughs) (laughs) They're just regular people who deal drugs and go home. Yeah. And when you're in the shadow where there is no home, that is your home. Yeah. And I used to envy... uh, the main guy I told you about, he um, led a criminal life too, primarily narcotics, but he was able to have seven children, been married almost 30 years, uh, nice home life, stable, you know, stable activities with the kids. He just has a certain occupation. Okay. And uh, I used to look at that and be a little jealous. Because when you're in the pimp game, there is no, st- that is your home. Yeah. That is your home. You know, porn stars and prostitutes walking around half naked all the time, you know, sometimes arguing about the silliest of things. Mm-hmm. That is your home. Yeah. There is no man cave to go to, there is no peace <laughs> to go to. That is your home, solving their problems so they can solve yours. I mean, this is your life. So I used to envy that. I didn't yeah. think it was fair. Because I figured if we both made, quote unquote, bad decisions, why do you still get your cake and eat it too? And me, I I just 
can too. But it's a different profession. One sells yeah. a product, one provides a service. Yeah. The service industry and the product industry, you know, a box of cigarettes and a human being are two different things. Exactly. So, <laughs> so, so how, how do you go about finding, finding the girls? And when people leave, like how often do, does that happen? Like if, if someone leaves, are you worried? Were you worried about them? You know, blow blowing the cover. Because like I don't know how any of this works, so I'm like asking legitimate questions. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> finding girls, especially in Hollywood, Los Angeles, is very easy. Okay. You know, I didn't just in the beginning. Anyone who chose, usually they find you. Believe it or not, oh. they find you and. It's like if you're an amateur boxer, does Don King come find you or are you looking to find him? Yeah, true. You're looking to find him because yeah, you're trying to make it to so the people who choose you have already decided in their minds this is what they want. So recruitment was very easy. You have to turn down a lot of people because if like me, once I got to the stage where I was mostly opening bordellos, so to speak, yeah. there were houses for in-call escorts. I'll call or, or refer to as call girls. They come to you. Uh, escorts, you just set up a house, maybe four or five bedroom. You have maybe one, sometimes two girls in each room. And they, they're just servicing clients around the clock. Back in that day, uh, we used to get them off. Well, later became the internet. But before then, we had business cards. And a lot of girls dance at the clubs and stuff. So find them is really not hard. Having something to do for them is where your job as a pimp comes in. Okay. Because, you know, if they're not on stage, they should be in call work. And I pulled mine off the street a long time ago, like in my 20s. Yeah. You know? So, you know, and plus for safety reasons. So if they're in call, they're working. Uh, before they can get bored with that, you have them shooting on covers of pornography magazines and in movies. And you, you have to keep this all in rotation to expand their world so they have more to do. Because yes. they want to make sure you have to make it so that it was more profitable being with you than being without you. You're going to get more championship fights if you sign with Don King or if you don't. He might take 50%, but I bet you his 50%, the 50% you're left with yeah. will be more than the 300% you had before you were dealing with him or you could ever make. Yes. Yeah, you know? see, and, 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 see, and people don't understand that with, with investments. Like with my with my coaching program, I'll tell, tell people, you know, it's $2,000 to work with me directly. And that's not a lot of money. There's some programs out there where it's like $200,000 to, to work with someone directly. But but it's like, I'm going to transform how you communicate and connect with people for the rest of your life. <laughs> you know, it's like people will spend triple that to take a cruise. It's like, yeah, you'll have the memories, but it's, it's not going to change you. It's not going to give you a, another avenue to make income or to inspire other people. And it's like just kind of how you said, you know, 50% of 10 million is better than 100% of 1 million. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people don't grasp that concept. No, they, 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 they add. They don't multiply. Mm -hmm. And I got into a, an issue with that because... Traditionally, it is stereotypical that pimps take all of the money. Yeah. Well, in my early to mid-20s, I changed that because I'm not doing all of the work. And yeah. coming from a gang-structured, uh, military father-type background, you wherever you go in life, you take what you are with you. So once mentally these people became my family, then I can't logically think of doing this to my family or put my family in harm's way. However, this is our family business and we're going to continue to do this, but we're going to make a few changes. Yes. You know, I'm going to, we're going to do this as if we're blood related and we want to make sure no one gets hurt at the end of the day. Yeah. But this is what we do. This is what we've decided to do. So my women, uh, I will go 50, 50 with them and take care of all the expenses. Nice. And whatchamacallit, so they did what they wanted to do with their money, you know, because I'm not going to take you shopping. You know, <laughs> it's a lot of women here. We'd be going shopping around the clock all day long. I wouldn't be able to get two hours sleep. I'm not going to buy you clothes. You have your own money. You know, you. I don't think you should get 100% of your money because you're not doing 100% of the work. Yeah. But I don't believe I should get 100% either 
because I'm not doing definitely 100% of the work. So wear and tear on both our bodies in different ways, wear and tear on both our minds. We're both going to end up with PTSD behind this in 20 years. So <laughs> we might as well be equal. And they said, well, how did you make your money? I said, oh, there were 19 of them. Mm. Yeah, multiply. Yeah. There were 19 of them. That's why Don King has so much money. Yes. It's not that he takes so much from a boxer. He has 100 boxers. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's a so lot of four tools on a lot of plates. So, and a lot of uh, people in the that life didn't like the fact that I was doing that. It just seemed fair. It made more sense. It actually made more money. You know, I, I remind people that uh, America's cotton production, I was taught in school, went up 300% under sharecropping than it did under slavery. And that was only from sunup to sundown. You can't do it in the dark. Yeah. So, whatchamacallit, uh, a person only going to work so hard for you when they're just working for you. But if you cut them in, production went up because they lit a match. Yep. See, it's theirs now. So it's different. So I said, yep. no, this is our house, not mine. You know, we are an organization. My name is just Charlie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are an independent contractor. I used to pass out cards to the uh, police stations <laughs> and stuff. And they used to utilize my services. Uh, wow. It said a manager of adult entertainers. And I said, these are dancers. These are actresses. Both of those things are very legal. And yeah. they do bachelor parties and we do this and that. And and they laughed me out of there and blah, blah, blah. But about six weeks later, the phone rang. <laughs> is, there, is this a joke or are you serious? I said, no, I'm dead serious. But I, I was really um, brazen in my late 20s. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't do that today. But. Yeah, no, world, the world's a little different, a little more sensitive today. God, it was broad daylight, too. It had to be about 2 o'clock uh, p.m., and I just strolled in there with a couple of my ladies. <laughs> Gather around, everyone. I'm a good grind. I could have been arrested. <laughs> oh, oh we young. So I, I was watching a documentary a couple of days ago about inside... I believe they were in Watts. Watts, mm -hmm. Watts. Watts is California, right? Right. Yeah, so it was Watts. It was about a inner city neighborhood, and they were talking about the gang life. And so it, it, seemed, pre it seemed pretty authentic, you know, what, what they were saying. But I just want to hear from you. Like, like how would you describe gang life? Uh, boring and savage. Mm. Okay. It so has extreme highs. It has extreme lows. Yeah. Mostly it's boredom. And then it can get savage. Uh, people like to relate gangs and drugs together. No. Drug dealers sometimes are gang affiliated, but they're not gang members like that. And yeah. hardcore gangbangers really don't have time to sell drugs. A lot of them are on drugs, actually. Mm. So it's they, they relate to two. Now, sometimes the money links up with the soldiers and they work together because they're from a particular neighborhood. But uh, I didn't see gangbangers start selling drugs until like the late 80s. Yeah. Drug dealers were always snazzy dressers and they had a few girls with them, nice cars. Gang, when gangbangers started selling drugs, they sold them like gangs. No customer service whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it got really intense because that's the way they live. Yeah. Okay. So. They said they said on that documentary that I saw that it was like it was like a family environment, you know. So obviously, in, unless you're within within that environment, what us outsiders we only know what we see portrayed, you know. So like, did you get a a, a gist of like it was a family style environment? Yeah, and army, hmm. family and army. Yeah, that, that's how. You become so efficient at what you do because you really think you're doing good. Mm -hmm. I never saw myself as a bad guy until I was in the hole up at uh, Chino and uh, started because you don't have a television, you don't have human contact. So the only movie you have to watch is in your head. So yeah. I went all the way back to like kindergarten. I'm going to be here two months. So I might as well, you know, slow the television program down. And when I was awake, I thought about other stuff. But right when I was about to go to sleep, I 
pick back up like third grade four. So I got a chance to see my life played out in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I did it in detail like that because I'm going to be here a while. That's the only thing I have. I have no books. I have nothing to write, nothing. Yeah. And uh, I was like, it came to me to pick me. I said, I've been bad. I've been really bad. And I said, all this time, I didn't think that. I thought the government was a bad guy, the unseen entity. I thought the police were bad. I thought that, uh, let's say, um, very conservative religious people were bad. Everybody wanted to stop my hedonistic lifestyle, which I felt I had a right to. Yeah. Uh, so you feel like you're almost kind of like a politician or a policeman in the shadow world, in that world that exists in your world. It's in broad daylight with the real world, but it has nothing to do with it. We are not on that frequency when you're in that. And, when, and everyone that you deal with is. You can yeah. deal with corporate entities who distribute pornography around the world. Uh, they have suits and ties on, but just as much perverted, you know, and talking about those things. And you see the posters on the wall. So you go downtown and you see these big buildings and then you go to these warehouses and you see stuff being packaged and 30, 40 workers in a room. And you see these trucks picking the stuff up and then you go on the sets and stuff. And then you go all the way back to the Hollywood parties, the after hours. You see some of the women on stage, some of them sometimes on the track, some in houses. And that becomes an entire world. Mm an entire world that you don't actually deal out of when you get checks for movies that you uh, produce, whatever they come from companies on legit banks. So it becomes an entire world. It's not a bubble. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's an, enti- it was an entire world. It's come crumbling now. So these stories are mostly past tense, but yes, it, you, you, it took a, it took me all that time to actually see myself as a bad guy. That's why I did it so well. I did it in broad daylight. Advertising, police, and firemen. I mean, see, and I think that's a very, very key statement. And you said earlier—I know I wrote it down. How did you word it? Oh, that you developed a conscience, you know, but you didn't see yourself as a bad guy. And the takeaway that that I want, especially for the listeners, is that when you take that level of self accountability that's when your life can change because too many times like like you said you you thought it was the government you thought it was the 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 police and at the end of the day it was because you were doing bad things you know yeah i I mean i thought in my world that was progress yeah and i've been in that world basically since 13 that warped way of thinking Mm. so i was progressing in my world i was moving up i was elevating like in any world you start off a private, you want to end up a general. Yeah. You know, you, you're progressing. If you signed up for lifetime military, the goal is to like keep climbing the ladder, like in the corporate world or anything else. So in that world, I was climbing the ladder. Yeah. So I in my mind, it was great. You know, it's like that line from Goodfellas when Henry Hill's narrating a movie, and he said, To me, in my neighborhood, being a wise guy was better than being president of the United States. Because in his world, that's he doesn't. The other world doesn't even exist. Walk right past you. Yes, you know it's it's the frequencies. So no, I didn't even see myself as that until I had a chance to sit down and think. See, it's like, and and I I see that. Like, I don't want to call it an issue, but I I feel like that is an issue because I don't know what other word to call it. In in a lot of those inner cities, is that people think that that's all there is, and. And it's really not like there's a whole big old world out there, you know. And so, how does it make you feel now to be living with where you're living now versus with where you were? Well, I'm bored now. I mean, I always tell the truth. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm bored. Mm-hmm. You know, people ask me, knowing what you know, all of the this, that, and the other took place. Would you go back and do it again? I said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I said, do you miss it? I said, every day. But it's like a person that's decided to change their diet. You don't think they miss double chili cheeseburgers? Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, God, they miss them. But you know what I mean? But they've made a conscious decision that I want to live longer. I want to live healthier. And double chili cheeseburgers are not as healthy for me as a plate of broccoli and maybe some baked chicken. So I'll have this because that's a smarter choice. Yes. And that's all I've done. 
Yeah. But do I do I yearn for oh god, every song that comes on that I play on the thing, every time I'm in the car and I'm driving through these country fields pretending I'm on Crenshaw Boulevard or Lafayette <laughs> or something and leaning and I don't even drive a Cadillac anymore. No more Mercedes. No, I drive a Dodge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Avenger, at, what you call it. So I'm driving my little car, you know, just leaning and dreaming, playing them old, because you know, I've had all those things and do I miss it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really good at it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh any type of you know, not even to go into detail, but uh God, the entire sex trade from the ugly to the pretty, you know. Like I said, I was an enforcer for hire. Oh man, drug smuggler. <laughs> Got arrested in Mexico twice. Yeah. Uh just a lot of stuff, you know. And I, I write primarily about pimping because that's what I'm basically known for. But there were other, I diversified, let's put it that way. Yeah. By, uh, and I used to describe myself back then as a criminal aristocrat. <laughs> you know, but, you know, the movies, they give you some knuckle dragging thug. No, I was at poetry readings watching Nikki Giovanni. Then later that night, I went and opened the doors at the Bordello home. <laughs> Four young ladies there. But they think that you're one dimensional. And that's why a lot of times law enforcement has a problem with stopping it because they're going after the TV actors. You know, pimps are not human traffickers. Human traffickers yeah. are not pimps. They're not even doing the same things. Did I know pimps who are holding girls against their will? Kind of, sort of. Mm -hmm. But traffickers? No, that's, that's on a whole nother level. Yeah. You know? And they weren't holding them against their will physically yeah. they were holding them against their will psychologically yeah yeah like you said they came to you i mean with human traffickers you're stealing people yeah yeah so that that's completely different and most of the ones who came to me were already in the life and i didn't really take everybody yeah. some i yeah. said this isn't for you you know and some i could tell their personality was so abrasive because once we were in houses you have to be able to get along with everyone yeah now the thing is you don't have to live here because remember, they're getting their own money. Yes. So, and a lot of them, as the internet started to come in around the early 90s, I mean, excuse me, late 90s, they started getting uh, websites. I didn't even know what these things were. I used to call it the computer. And didn't know what the word internet meant. That's uh, why so I'm still a technosaurus now, trying to figure out Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. Technosaurus. But that's what I call myself. I, I, I can't, I barely, I barely this, this is my first touchscreen telephone. Mm. I had flips, and and in my mid careers, I had pages when everybody else had cell phones. Still carried a Crown Royal bag full of quarters because I was using various phone booths around <laughs> the cities and stuff. Or old school. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, so like what you were saying about missing, missing with where you're from. It's like I'm the same, but I'm the opposite. It's like I was born in New York City, but my parents moved us out when I, I was only two and a half, I want to say. So I don't really have any recollection of being living in the projects there. But I mean, my older siblings do because I'm the youngest of seven. But I grew up in the woods in Rhode Island. And that's what I know. It's like I like the woods. I like hiking. I like nature. I like all that stuff. And like I can navigate the cities, but I'm definitely like a fish out of water. It's like I, I definitely don't belong there at, at I mean, all. I, I could I, I I navigate the cities well. I could, uh, in fact, on National Geographic, I acted as a tour guide okay. as we rode down the track. But um, I'm older, I'm tired. Yeah, you know, it's it's like it's a line in a story I'm writing, and I told, and I don't want to give it away, but I told. Uh, one particular lady, that's the one I lost the child with and everything. And I told her, uh, she said, you love me, don't you? And I said, I can't love anything. I said, if I love something, I can't do my job effectively. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, and I do love you. As I said, but I can't be with you if I'm going to be still doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And I said, I'll slip up. Mm -hmm. I said, no, I don't, they don't mix. And I said, so I got to do what I got to do. She said, what's that? I said, I think tomorrow I'll look for another job. Okay. And I just winked at her, and she just started smiling. Mm -hmm. 
Nice. So, so what happened from there? I know you have to read more books to find that out. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. That's a smart move. It gave us that teaser there. All right. So, yeah. what what was the second book you wrote? Uh, the first book was the Pimp Game Instructional Guide. Yeah. You know that was a step by step how to process. You know, okay. you how does a girl go from working at Walmart to selling her body outside of it? Mm-hmm. You don't just walk up and ask her. What do you say? How do you <laughs> say? What methods and techniques are they used to make one person totally submit to the will of another person? Yes. You know, and is history has plenty of examples of it. You know, you can whisper in a guy's ear and he'll storm the Capitol for you. Yeah. You can give. I remember I played one year of uh, football in high school, and I remember my knee was killing me, and something had happened to my back that I had never felt before. You know, later I found out it was like a slip disc. But I never felt that kind of thing before. I said, something's wrong. You know, I've yawned a little bit too hard or stretched a little bit too hard. Something happened to my back. But I'm sure from trauma on the field. But uh, I didn't want to play anymore after halftime. What did the coach say to me in my ear to make the pain in my knee go away, the pain in my back go away, and me run out on the field again? See, it's the words that people can say to you. I don't see how you could ever do that. Oh, no, there's a speech a man can give to get you to run off to a foreign land and kill people you've never met. Right. Just a speech. And and, it, and you feel it's your idea. And you'll be so gung-ho about it. You wouldn't care about the consequences. Mm-hmm. I said, it's examples of it. It's just microcosm, microcosm to macrocosm. Yeah. What did that minister say to make 10,000 people stand up at the same time? Was it the way he banged his hand on the... Uh, yeah, the podium. The podium the yeah. What did he do? So that's what the pimp game instructional guide is about. There's a process in the middle, turning a certain type of person into another t- certain type of person to make the unnatural natural. Yes. So, and uh, I have the pimp game part two: secrets of mind manipulation. Uh, the other ones are stories. Those two are like textbooks. Yeah. Uh, I think the FBI, I've been told, used my book, The Pimp Game Instructional Guide, as a textbook to get into the mindset of human trafficking mm. and how hardcore sex trade goes down. And that's mainly the hardcore, not the glitz and glamour, yeah. but yeah. the actual finessing, allure, up to and including kidnapping. Mm. You know, you know, I'm no saint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, I laugh it off. You know, because I want to add a little cream to the coffee because uh, it's really bitter to taste raw. But the book covers that are like in color, not the ones that look like textbooks, but those are stories. Yeah. Novels. And I wrote I'm leaving for a white woman to show that I'm not one trick pony. I have I don't have to write in first person singular all the time. So my stories are outside of that particular genre. Yeah. So that was more so like an interracial relationship type book. You know, stories I collected and formed into one. But uh, most of my particular genres from my life, true crime. Okay. You know, and on, you know, different levels. You know, a lot of times people say pimp, they think of the guy with the, you know, crushed velvet hat and the mink coat standing out on the corner. I said, yeah, corners is where it starts, but it goes past that. Yeah. You know, from the brothels to my quote unquote high class call girl ring. You know, which means you have a certain level of clientele and you don't have all one ethnic group. That's what it really means. Yeah. You know, I don't even like those kind of connotations. I'm kind of a, I'm totally anti-human trafficking, but I'm totally for sex workers. Yeah. And it should be unionized and organized. I have a plan how, but, you know, if they were willing to pay me for it, because you're not going to do it the way you did marijuana. That's a product. You're talking about people in a service. Yeah. Totally different. You can do alcohol, you can do tobacco, you can do firearms, you can do marijuana the exact same way. Those are all inanimate objects, products. These are people we're talking about. Whether you want to see them as that way or not, these are actual human beings. There's a service that you're trying to decriminalize and legalize as opposed to a product that just takes legislation, which we call it. uh, This takes a lot of human opinion, a lot of um, what's the word? Propaganda, yes, for lack of a better word. So it's it's done differently. 
Yeah. yeah, I mean, if if the politicians can figure out a way to profit from it, they'll they'll figure it out. Oh, I have a I have a plan. Yeah. If, if anybody can teach them how to pimp, I can. <laughs> <laughs> True. So, to where everyone is happy. Yeah. Where everyone is happy, and that's the way I used to uh, run my thing. Not at the very beginning. You read my book along for the ride, but you see where things start to change. And I said, no, this is. If this is going to be my family, why manipulate about it? Why not be real about it? Okay, this is my family. So I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm going to sit down here and teach you how to manipulate them. And you'll take yours off the top and you'll bring that back to me, the rest back to me. And it worked that way. You know, it's like an, um, oh, I'm sorry. Let me go back. I have a long for the ride. That's, uh, a novel, how we uh, ran a prostitution ring, just like a, a Fortune 500 company, solved the murder mystery, you know, got crooked cops and drug dealers all through it, you know, but yeah, I got the scar from that one. That's a true story. And yeah. pimping ain't easy, but somebody's got to do it. One <laughs> story is about seven years, the other one is seven days. Oh. It was a very wild seven days with 30 pictures in it. Yeah. You know, a journalist is living with me and she's doing a report about my lifestyle for seven days. So she's with me 24 hours mm. and she gets a little bit more than what she bargained for. You know, but that was, again, back then. Yes. So those are some of the books. OK. And then what's next for you? More books, trying to get books turned into movies. Uh, because I see a lot of stuff going on and, uh, you know, I'm going to be adding more videos to my YouTube channel, things like that, getting a lot of these stories out. Cause I got a lot of stories in 27 years of, Oh, I bet primarily servicing the upper echelon Hollywood area. Yeah. Uh, so when I say a lot of stories, I got a lot of stories. I was there. <laughs> I say when certain politicians want to get in touch with porn stars that they're in scandals with, how do you think they meet them? You think they go Google them? Think that name is up there? True. You look on the back of the box. There's a number on the back of the box. They call that number. That number is my cell phone. So I collected a lot of stories along the way. Yeah. Certain sports people come to town. That number is my cell phone. How do you think she gets there? How do you think she gets home? What do you think they talk about when they stop at Denny's on the way in? What kind of stories do you think over a thousand uh, prostitutes, porn ducks, bars, even a couple of Vegas showgirls? who did this for life. I mean, stories you think I collected in 27 years. I'm sure <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> I am very sure quite a lot. <laughs> now, I'm not an exposing type person. That's not my thing because like I told someone, my black book is bigger than Heidi Fleiss's, but my name is on every page. Mm. You know, so it's not like I could never expose anyone by, oh God, my hands are way dirtier than there. <laughs> it's like, it's a guy I used to bring girls to. And uh, I knew him before I became Mickey Royal. And he would chastise me, but accept my girls. Mm -hmm. And he would chastise me and tell me I need to go to church and all these kinds of things. And I said, but you're doing the same thing. I said, you're a part of the same thing that I am. And he said, but that's different. I'm an addict. You're a dealer. <laughs> 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 I was like, okay, all right. I was like, fair enough. Yeah, he was a straight-laced guy. He just had an addiction for women. Yeah. You know, always call him, you got a few. I, I always have a few. What, what, what do you want? Tall, short, blonde, brunette, black, white, Asian. What do you want? Old? You want young? What do you want? Just tell me what you want. You want foreign, domestic? I mean, you know, foreign takes me about an hour. Domestic would be about 30 minutes. Because like I told you, this is an entire network. Yes. You know, so at that time when you're doing quote unquote high class call girl type things, if I'm dealing with Russians as I have been doing since my 20s, if I need a certain, he wants a six foot Ukrainian girl, she may not be one of my 19 or 20 or 15 or whatever. She may not be one of the ones that they know. Because remember, once I taught them, they taught others. So it's kind of like a, a, a huge pie that everybody's eating off of. I would call one of them. He might, it might take him 30 minutes to send one over. Yeah. It takes me 30 minutes to reroute her. So I said, it would take me about an hour. 
if I don't have them here, you know, but uh, you collect a lot of stories along the way. You live a lot of life and I have to tell it in pieces because it's not believable all, all the way through. Yeah. I don't believe it. It's like I'm waking <laughs> up from a gym. I really don't. Yeah. When I got out of prison, I remember I was sitting down with my mother, I was eating. And she was just eating, just la la la, we eating, catching up, you know. And she said, she just threw her knife and fork down and said, How the hell are you still alive? I said, I know, huh? Funny how life works out. Got <laughs> <laughs> my body, my face. They tried oh, to whack me a couple of times. Wow. <laughs> you should go see the other guy. Okay, they met. <laughs> but yeah, it just comes with it, man. Yeah. It just comes. I got I got 15 stitches in my mouth, so I talk funny. Some words I can't pronounce. Yeah. Some words I can feel. I mean, you can't tell from the front. It's four right here. It's, it's, it's separated under the tongue. They had to reattach that. Mm. And my, my teeth were shattered. I looked like a jack-o'-lantern in his bank. That's yeah. the yeah. biggest weakness is vanity. Yeah. So I had to get my, my mouth fixed. And my, my teeth are off-center. So my mm. chew, like I told someone, my mouth, my face, I can't feel anything from here all the way down. And... uh Whenever I talk, I, I get a sharp pain like in my throat. So throughout this interview, I am constantly being stuck with pain. When I'm eating, it is a constant throbbing sensation. Yeah. When I'm just laying still, it feels like how you cut off the circulation. You got a bunch of ants running around your feet. Yes. You know, you, you cut off your blood circulation. That's how I feel. So no matter what I'm doing, I'm constantly feeling pain in my face. Yeah. You know, I, I can't feel the left side of my body because of uh, a bullet that ripped through. That was the second time I got shot. Uh, lower extremities, I can't feel those half the time. I don't know if I'm having an orgasm or urinating or because sometimes they're hypersensitive. Yeah. Sometimes they're really numb. It just it, it ripped through this way and that way. And, you know, so I know I didn't dream it. <laughs> you know, you pinch yourself. I know I didn't dream it, but no, yeah. it's, I have to break it up like that. Okay. You know, because at the end of the day, people still want to be entertained. You know, and if you if someone's spending their money to buy a book from you with all the other stuff that they could buy, make sure it's the best one you could give them. Because, I mean, truth be told, you know, a double chili cheeseburger to me will outweigh a book, you know. But if I take the time to actually buy a book, the author owes it to me to give me his best. Yes. Or her best. So you're going to get my best each time. I love it. That's I, I owe that to that. you. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. I, I agree. And as a speaker, I believe the exact same same thing. If people are going to take their time to tune in, you know, like I want to give them the best possible version of my stories that I can. And I want them to feel it. You know, like yeah. when, when you were going through and, and talking, you know, like I could I could feel what you were saying, you know, like all the way through. And that's that's an amazing gift. You know, it's an amazing gift. And so our time is up. So that hour went by pretty, pretty quickly. But like if you could give one. Yeah, sure final, yeah if you can give one final word, what would you say? Or one final thought? You don't regret the things in life you do when you look back. You mostly regret the things you didn't do. Yes. I tell people, do it all. Do everything. Life is like a smorgasbord. Like I used to tell my son, we didn't want to eat certain foods because they looked a little funny. And I was introducing him to exotic type food. I said, son, always bite whatever you see. Because if you don't like it, you can spit it in your napkin. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But bite it. Oh, also, yes, please go to Amazon.com and buy my books because I'm not in that lifestyle anymore. So my <laughs> financial status has drastically changed over the past 10 years. So, But I, this is what I am. This is what I should have always been before I was detoured for almost 30 years. Mm. So writing successfully, writing unsuccessfully. A writer writes always. This is what I want to die doing. Yes. You know, and all of the stories are not going to be from the same genre. Like I said, I have a children's book out. And that's just about parents trying to figure out what their daughter is going to be when she grows up. They're new parents and they, they go through a series of clues and things like that mm -hmm. to see what she finally is going to be. 
And it's just 50 pages, mostly illustrations. It's really a kid's book that you read to kids, but yeah. like I said, I keep those separate. Love it. Absolutely love it. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. Oh, yeah. Sharing your story, getting deep, being raw, being authentic. You know, I appreciate that. I'm sure the audience appreciates that. And uh, maybe we'll catch up again. You know, give it a few months. You know, come come back on, see what you got going on. I would love to. All right. Sounds great. All right, man. Thanks. Take care. Have a great yeah. day. Yeah, you too. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right, so that was Mickey. If you're just tuning in or you tuned in late, shares an amazing story, powerful story from a life of crime to be, being a pimp to now being an author. He's got five books out and he's got more books coming all about his backstories. And he's even had the kids book out, out as well. So he's got a lot of rain. So again, go to Amazon.com. You can check him out at MickeyRoyal.com. And as always, thank you very much for tuning in. I'll be back on Friday with episode number 120. I lied. I'm going to be back tomorrow. I usually don't do Thursdays, but I have a special guest coming on tomorrow. So I wanted to make time for him because I'm booking into February now. So I'll be actually be back tomorrow with 127 and then Friday with 128. So thank you very much and have a great day. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break